0: Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood, for good. I feel called to do a PSA before the start of this podcast, just because the nature of it is abuse. And this abuse story is quite intense. And I feel like if someone is listening, that is currently in an abusive situation and abuse can look like so many different ways right there's financial abuse where someone is ultra ultra controlling over finances they don't have any say over any finances or finance decisions there's emotional abuse right that's psychological mind manipulation where someone threatens and fear mongers you and demeans you and mocks you and then there's physical abuse and that's usually the type of abuse that people really focus on is if you get punched or thrown against a wall or you get a black eye but abuse abuse comes in so many different forms so this story is intense and I feel like if someone is in an abusive situation right now they could gaslight themselves and say well my situation's not as bad as this one, so it's okay. And deep down you know it's not okay. And this is where we need to learn to trust ourselves, that gut instinct when we know it's not okay. It's really about self-trust and self-respect.
1: Okay, hi, I'm Jordan, I am a solo mom. I am a Pisces and double Taurus rising. I absolutely love in my heart's desire. My passion is cooking, anything to do with food, anything to do with just like healing food and medicine. That is my absolute love. And I am a businesswoman as well. So yeah, thank you for having me today. Thank you for holding space for me. And I'm excited to share about this. I guess it's an experience that I had maybe. How
0: old are you right now?
1: 29.
0: Okay, so when does this story start?
1: Oh, about the age. It kind of has two parts. It started when I was quite young, around the age of like 16. And then I think these are two different relationships that I had. Um, The second one, which was the one that we would probably predominantly be talking about, um, started when I was 22, so around 2018.
0: Okay. Where do you want to start your story? At 16?
1: Um, Yeah. Like let's do a little brief overview of 16 of, I feel like we've all been there. Um, A lot of, a lot of us have been there in those really young relationships where it's the love of your life and you think that you're a person and you're obsessed. Um, I think this is where a lot of it started for me. Um, If you were to have that relationship now at the age of 29, many people would say that was extremely toxic. Um, Many people would have flagged that as not okay. But when you were 16, 17, it was, you know, oh, she's crazy or, you know, he's crazy. And it was very, just like, toxic in that way because everyone was aware of it but no one really did anything about it and I feel as though that led me into the relationship that I entered when I was 22 that became extremely abusive
0: yeah I want some details of what you mean by the 16 year old relationship like would you call it narcissist tendencies or no
1: yes because the way he he had multiple girlfriends and I didn't know Um, And I was, you know, like the 16-year-old that was so obsessed and I would do everything and I would have fights with other women because, you know, I wanted him so bad and I moved to the other side of the world to get away from him because I was so in love and I needed a break and then came back to discover he had a girlfriend. So it was very narcissistic but because we were 16, 17, um, that it didn't – no one – said that. And we. I don't think I really understood what was happening at that point because I was so young. Um, however, that's kind of where I learnt that behaviour and it started to create like such a big part of my identity at such a young age. And it really swiftly took me into an, like a mentally and emotionally physically abusive relationship um, at the age of 22 that was 20 times worse.
0: Whoa. So, your 16 year old relationship when you were 16 17 for you did it kind of feel like oh this is what love is and this is what's normal which is obviously why at 22 it felt familiar to meet this other man that felt familiar Mm
1: -hmm. yes yeah I, i had a conversation with my girlfriend uh and i remember clearly sitting in the car being like i just want like i want to forget about my ex at 16 like you know, it's taken me, I've moved to the other side of the world and I'm back here and I'm still so in love with him. And she was like, at any point you get to, you know, change that. And she's still like a very, very dear friend of mine. And her advice was incredible. However, I just took it as a, okay, well, then I just like immediately move on and find someone new. And that really just was like, ding, ding, ding. This girl's really vulnerable. She's in a lot of pain and whoever comes along is, that's her person. And it just happened to be someone that was a narcissistic abuser, who um, we'll talk about it more. But ended up going to jail, and um, was someone that I entered into a relationship for two to three years with.
0: Yeah, I really want you to detail what that narcissism feels like in the beginning of a relationship because a lot of it is love bombing. And so, if yes. a twenty-year-old, if a twenty-year-old female human is listening to this, I want them to learn what those signs are, what it feels like, what it looks like.
1: It feels amazing because you feel like you're being seen. You feel as though, and I think it's important to differentiate between there is love love bombing that's not a narcissistic person. There's just an unhealed person that doesn't know probably how to sit within themselves and what a healthy relationship looks like. And then there's intentional love bombing where a person is fully aware most narcissists are quite unconscious, but they're fully aware that their behavior equals an outcome. So, and generally they're older and generally they're potentially like grooming you in many ways, uh, just because they're grooming you into the situation to make you feel more comfortable. And for me, that looks like feeling completely seen and heard, being validated in my emotions um, and really pedestaling me. So, Uh, this person dived quite deep into just like my own traumas and they really pedestaled me in the fact of I'm going to make you feel like this. I am going to take all your past issues and I am going to make you a new woman. So they really play on your vulnerabilities and then they really just jump in there with the I put you up here and this is who you are now and we are going to take you there and it makes you feel extremely validated in your past experiences that was my experience of it Um, and it doesn't necessarily come with like you're not being showered in gifts Um, I found it to be just more a psychological thing for me personally Um, and it's not shiny it's just more feeling that your insecurities are being heard and being seen and then that's where the fun starts (laughs)
0: That is the most intoxicating thing to feel because almost every single human, our emotional need is to be seen and heard. Yeah, from when we're a child to an adult, mm. that's that's almost every single human. I would be hard pressed to find a human that their emotional need is not to be seen and heard. Most people just aren't aware that that is a basic emotional need. Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah, that was me.
0: Yep, it's all of us. (laughs) But but to really feel like you're getting that fulfilled, to be so seen and heard, oh my gosh, that is a drug. That is intoxicating, Mm -hmm. especially at a younger age, because you haven't had these life lessons yet. But it sounds like this experience is what woke you up.
1: It woke me up. It took me a while to wake up. In many ways, I think I was waking up which sounds a little bit odd because how can you enter a relationship if you are waking up but I definitely was on that journey of healing and because of it it did make me you know look into where this has come from I didn't feel seen and heard as a child so and I had a lot of um, issues with my dad so it kind of you know I could timeline that and I could clearly see but despite being in it I wasn't necessarily sort of getting out of it but I was becoming aware of okay cool like this is where this has started then I've entered a relationship at the age of 16 that was like quite horrendous and then I've really gone head over heels into this 22 year old relationship and I could start to timeline it but I wasn't able to necessarily get out of it at that time Um, and now at the age of 29 I can look back at it and really understand how I got there, why I got there. And even now, um, despite going to, I've done somatic work, I've done every type of therapy, I've done um, existential kink, I've literally done everything in the whole entire world, there'll still be moments of self-doubt that these situations could happen again because you just don't really know. However, I do believe I have the tools now to recognize it, which is super amazing.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Do you want to tell us the whole story with it?
1: yeah sure so i met this man um who was twenty, twenty-five 25 or 26 at the time and he was this big giant tattooed man um he called himself this i won't actually say his nickname because who knows um he called himself this nickname and he was an mma fighter and he was covered in tattoos and he dealt drugs and he just was like really like giant all red flags, but I was like, you're amazing. And <laughs> he really just like latched onto me. Like within the first night, we, I think we stayed up all night talking and like, which is actually a major red flag to me. I'm not, not to say that you can't stay up like all night and have a conversation with someone, but we were so engulfed in each other that it just was 24 seven from the beginning and there's just all these, when I reflect back on it, looking at the the way that it all played out, uh, this man was very charismatic. He was in many ways like highly intellectual. He grew up with parents that were writers. So just being able to converse and have a conversation for him was like quite sexy. Like he he could lead a conversation Um This man didn't really have necessarily like a good job or anything like that, but he really just held himself in his power of like, I am the best. So as the 22-year-old self that I was, I was like, oh my God, this man is amazing. So that's where I immediately like got, went into this situation. I was in love. He was the best thing that's ever happened to me. I, within the first week, I had left a holiday to go back and see him, which is like, major red flag (laughs) to me like i had left and i'd lied to my friends that i had to go back to work because i was too embarrassed to say oh i'm like obsessed with this man and he was calling me to come back you know to be there with him and spend lots of time together um so that led into just being with each other every single day um spending every single minute together getting in entangled with his family um finding out more and more of his issues. He had just um, recently been arrested for dealing drugs and he really just played into a story to me that it was like a poor him situation and, you know, it was just an accident that he got um, raided, which is not really it's like no one accidentally gets like raided from drugs everyone listening to this is like that's a whole bunch of red flags essentially um, but it really just led into this really back and forth toxic relationship where he slowly but surely over the next two to three years became extremely psychologically manipulative for me um, he found out all of my fears and really fed them back to me he also was a drug addict um Which was a hidden thing i didn't know he was a drug addict um within the probably first one to two weeks of being with him he was taking drugs and he sat me down and explained to me why he was taking drugs what the reason behind it was and it was just sort of like a way for him to connect with his father and like they were like quite heavy like it was heroin and cocaine and you know like using like um, I don't know what you call it inject like injecting and doing stuff like that and it was really just like sat down to be like hey this is why I do it and it's a form of connection for me and even that was really manipulative because I then fed into that story of like this poor man he doesn't know how to connect with his dad the only way he can connect with his dad is through drugs and then there was that separate toxic situation um, that I bear witness to and that's when I became hyper vigilant of the drug taking and felt as though I had to save him. So I can see all these like little points where I got really sucked in because I felt sorry for him because he was a victim and he had been arrested and he had been to jail and um, he was a drug addict, but he wasn't a drug addict. Like, and I just became this shell of myself quite instantly because I was obsessed with the idea of like, okay, he needs help and he needs love. and I need to be there for him because he's going through something and his family is horrendous to him when, in fact, to this day, I still have conversations with his mom, like his family wasn't horrendous to him. Um, she's someone that, you know, she doesn't actively show up in my life, but she will support my business and my company and buy food from me because um, I have a meal prep company. And even that shows me that how much of that was not real and that was fake. And That entered, that started off a two years of like me trying to save him, him taking drugs and finding out more information about him. So I, when I was younger, was sexually assaulted and he was the first person that I told. So I just was giving him all this MO. Like if it's a narcissist, it's MO. Everything that I was telling him, he would manipulate even into like, even into sex, even into our most intimate times, was manipulated into all parts of me. And I didn't really get into drugs with him. At some points I did take drugs with him and he would intertwine that. So, you know, if we did ever take drugs, it was um, that laced with psychological abuse at the same time because he'd get me in really vulnerable positions. Um, And it got to a point in this relationship where... He would post about me like on facebook and you know post like intimate things and then say that i you know had lied about it um this is where we started like going to the police his mum would take me to the police um which kind of led to a toxic situation where i would stay at the family's house because i didn't want to tell anyone what was happening so i kind of became into this i fed into his whole entire life Uh, which was really scary now reflecting back on that and I would go to the police talk to them he would get arrested and then he would convince me that it was like my fault that I was the one that had caused the police situation that I was the one that you know needed to be better and that my the way that I was in the past wasn't like womanly enough and I had to be you know more of a woman and the more of a woman I could be the more I could hold space for him and all of his problems and all of his issues um this led to just more and more drug taking um where I was you know checking under door cracks checking every time he walked out the room I would search his room um because they were really heavy drugs um he would at the time I had a really bad back and he would send me to the doctors to like do doctor shopping for him to get any like pharmaceuticals um that could aid in him and if i didn't or if i didn't share like i had a bad back where i like needed an operation so i actually at the time probably would have needed to have the medication not that i didn't even believe in that now but at the time like my back was in a lot of pain and i was a chef working 80 hours a week so a painkiller for me was important to work my passion and he would take them all and say, like, I was selfish for doing things like that. So these are like the little things that if a a woman is listening right now, like is, you might not think they're major, but it is major because your bare, like your bare minimum needs start to get taken away from you. Um, And he would send me around to help him get drugs. And I just thought, you know, this man is in so much pain at this point. I'm just like this poor guy, like not even still realizing what was happening to me. Um, My family met him and they were immediately like, no, like this man is terrible. Um, But, of course, when you're 22, that means like this man is amazing. You never like want people to sort of disagree with you. And that got into the cycle of calling the police, showing up to the police, more drug taking, um, more using my like pain against me. I was working a lot. I was in the process of starting my business that I have now. So this will, will probably loop back around to it later. It leads into existential kink and like being a chef and really like looking and seeking stress. Um, So I was just in that stressful situation where I would use him after I would work like, you know, 18 hours a day as well. Um, So it really fed into those two things for me. Um, eventually it just got to a point where he, one day he had taken so many drugs. Like at this point he was sort of like losing his mind. Um, I was probably like more, I was quite sane, extremely like hyper aware of everything, extremely stressed. And he was just taking more and more drugs and doing like, um, days awake at a time. And, but also like training and showing up in life. Like it was quite bizarre how well he could, Function, despite, you know, doing all these things that were terrible for him. And it led to this situation where he, this is really common for like a narcissist um, to do is like, I'll commit suicide if you don't like love me or if you break up with me. So I had multiple times tried to break up with him and multiple times um, it's really common as well for women to try and seek other men to, or even other situations. Like I would tell random strangers what was happening to me and they would be more supportive than the people in my life because my family would be, you know, really concerned for me and I didn't feel like I could have conversations. So he would find out that I would be telling like random people that I was in an abusive relationship, which really like fed into the like scenario of what was happening. And it all came to a head. He I had tried to break up with him. He had said I'll commit suicide and went and took a whole bunch of drugs and sent me a photo with a rope around his neck and a knife and just being like, I am going to, like, end it all here. Um, I'm going to, you know, kill myself if, like, you're you're horrible. This is why why I've got here. It's because of you. And that, you know, sped over there, tried to help him. Um, He... This is like comes into po- like police brutality a little bit as well because it was really bizarre. They He was running around the streets with a knife. Um, he was jumping on cars. Like he was just like out of control. And then the police used me as like a, a bait for him. So they shut down all the streets and they got me to like hide in between cars and then try and call him and try and get him to come to me. Then they were hiding me and then they were just, like, using me as bait to get him, which, like, is quite traumatising when, like, I reflect back on that. And eventually they got him into an ambulance and he tried to assault the ambulance worker. So they arrested him immediately, went straight to hospital because he was in psychosis, um, detoxed him, and I sat there the whole time by his bed being, like, this man needs so much help. I talked to all the psychiatrists to be, like, please can you help my partner like he's a drug addict because um, at this point I'm still in love with this man. Um, he gets sectioned which in Australia like means that you get put immediately into a psychiatric ward um, goes to a psychiatric ward I, at this point I'm like, oh thank God he's admitted he's a drug addict like we can be together now like he's a drug addict like that's this is his problem you know goes to a psychiatric ward, Um, this is so crazy. The psychiatric ward loses his files in a blackout. Um, so I go to visit him and they release him in the car with me, which is like insane. I've hidden all of his drugs. I've, you know, I've got rid of a lot of his stuff and I'm secretly trying to call his mom being like, this is really bad. I'm in the car with this man and he's going to realize I've like got rid of all of his drugs because I think I'm trying to save him this is going to end really badly for me like this is not going to be pretty get to his house realizes I lose all the drugs and I've lost I've hidden all the drugs and because he's been in a psychiatric ward they've given him like more things to try and calm him down so it sends him like into psychosis again and he locks us in a room slits his throat slits his wrists smashes my phone Um, And I'm like stuck in this room with this man. Um, And it's all my fault. (laughs) Like I, it's, all of this is because of me. He, I eventually escape the room, run out and he tackles me like on the um, grass out the front, smashes my phone. um, And by this point, some of the neighbours have heard and have called the police. So thankfully it ended there with, with the tackle. That's not to say the tackle, like being like tackled by a hundred and twenty kilo man, is like it's horrendous. However, like thankfully the police came at this point. Um, still so sad for this man to think that he's just in so much pain. I am saying to the police, oh, you know, he like tackled me, just like a like a, it was like not a bad tackle. He was just trying to you know um, stop me from running away, and but he didn't mean it in a bad way. Anyway, that got him arrested and he went to jail. Um, and that's where it started despite the first part of this sounding bad. This is where it actually got like horrendous like psychological abuse for me, whereas every single thing up until that point was my fault. The reason he went to jail was my fault. Um, he convinced me to pay for the whole case. So every bit of money that I had went to paying to get him out of jail despite versing him in jail. Um I was getting subpoenaed to court and the prosecutors would be saying to me like you need to be honest um this man's gonna like do something really bad to you and i would be you know saying to the prosecutors no he's not like you know he's just a drug addict um he got me into his therapist at that point so i was seeing the same therapist as him which is like really common for narcissists to do is pop you into like their world um and at this point, the therapist was actually like so in fear for my safety that he was like, you can't go on that stand and say that this man did this to you because I know you're going to leave and I know you're going to go home with him and that's going to end really badly for you. So you need to sit on that stand and say, I don't remember what happened and we, we're going to get you out of this. Like uh, if, you, if you say the truth, like I know you're going home with him and that's going to end horrendously for you. So that just kicked off like another year of back and forth where he blamed everything on me for the next year um, to the point where he would like have me in his lap whispering in my ear saying like, you're psycho, you did this, you created this, it's all your fault Um, and would like do whispers in my ear and then he'd get me to take drugs and Um, At this point, I was so defeated that I'd be like, okay, do I need to take drugs to see what this man feels? Thankfully, like, that wasn't a huge part of my world. I did things a couple of times that I would, like, never ever in my life do again. Um, But I just was so manipulated by this man that I wanted to feel his pain um, that it took me to places that were so, so scary. Um, So eventually I paid for the whole case. Um, I met a girl who saw what was happening and she this is how I like started to get out of it she was like she kept showing up for me and I kind of replaced him with her in many ways Um, but it was the way that I got out of it and she would show up for me despite like him being the way that he was and slowly but surely I began to get out of it with a lot of therapy uh, with a lot of help and support from other people um, and especially her who just showed up for me in her own ways because her own needs because I was a very broken girl who wanted to party and wanted to you know escape this and in many ways that was a pretty like toxic friendship in itself but it was the way that I was able to get out of it. He didn't leave me alone for years, like probably the last time he did um a Instagram post on me or like um he would like, you know, go and specifically date people that I knew or friends. Like it they narcissists don't really tend to sort of like let the situation go for a very long time. Um when once he started sort of looking elsewhere, he would still be around and um we had like an AVO in place, which is an apprehended violence order from the police um, where he wasn't able to contact me. And I just sort of started to become stronger within the situation where um, I could say no a little bit more and there people would come to my house and, you know, I would be embarrassed because there would be, you know, holes in the wall because he did a lot of like holes in the wall and, you know, snapping things in half and TVs being broken. Um, It just got to a point where I was like, oh, I can't have people to my house because I have holes in my wall my car mirrors being snapped off or just like all these little things became like very obvious where everyone around me my family would visit and there was like no hiding that so I realized you know I can't be in this anymore I need to get out of it Um, and eventually I did eventually I don't even know how I did I think from that girl becoming my friend that's how I sort of got out of it and that's where I began to heal um, and where I did a lot of work around um, existential kink and where I've gone to so much therapy which is unbelievable to like work through all of this and yeah it's brought me to where I am today which is um, crazy.
0: That is a really crazy story but the main thing I was thinking about the entire second half of it was If people haven't been in your shoes, it's so hard for them to grasp what you're feeling or thinking. But to me, I understand it because I understand the human condition and I understand the power of human connection because this man in the first part of the relationship with love bombing, he made you feel seen and heard more than anyone else in your whole life. He fulfilled a need that you have been hungry for your whole life. And when that gets fulfilled and, and it's not truly authentic, right? It's not, it's not truly authentic because he is a true narcissist and he's deliberately manipulating, but he's deliberately manipulating you and probably other people to fulfill this need, this emotional need of being so seen and heard to create this attachment attachment is everything be- between humans we are attachment mammals everything is attachment so when you were saying i was just so in love with this man really though you were attached to him and dr Shafali, mm-hmm. you know is the conscious parent expert that i love so much and she has this quote that says very rarely do i see people actually love each other because love is radical like true unconditional love is a radical thing to experience And I'm hard-pressed to find a human that really knows how to love because we have these egos, right? And our minds have revenge and jealousy and all these things. And we project our past pain onto our spouses and partners and all these things. But she says this quote, love is so radical that most people don't actually love each other. They're just attached to each other. That's what I heard in your story is when we feel this human attachment where someone – fulfilled our emotional needs so deeply oh my gosh we are attached we want that connection forever so then when the relationship flips and everything's your fault everything's your fault you owe them loyalty you owe Mm -hmm. them loyalty because they fulfilled your emotional needs so deeply and you couldn't leave him right he you owed him you owed him and that's what it felt like throughout the whole story is you know you went you paid all of his court fees you did all of these things because of that loyalty to this attachment to this human that fulfilled that hunger within you
1: that's a big thing for narcissism is loyalty it's a it is something that drives them and it's something that in most scenarios that I've heard other people talk about, uh, that owing of the person or that owing all parts of you to this person because they've saved you, uh, they, the word loyalty came up a lot for me and it is a word that is just, yeah, even used by the person. You, you need to be loyal to me because I did this for you
0: my my big question when he was blaming you for everything do you mm-hmm. have a tug and pull inside that you're like is it my fault but then you settle on no it is my fault is there's the, is there a tug of war internally
1: yeah at the time there was my tug was the outsourcing where i would tell random people the situation i was in or like the neighbors would know about the situation I was in. That was the tug of being, being, like, I know that I'm right somewhere inside. But, and then I was quite, um, I, despite being in that situation, I was still a very like outspoken, loud, quite defensive at the time person who was very like, okay to tell him like, Hey, like what you're doing is really abusive. So I still had that little voice inside me that was trying so hard and that was the tug for me but the tug always was overridden by him
0: maybe maybe the shadow voice of of you receiving some sort of benefit from the pain which is existential kink which is what we're going to talk about because I put on my stories does anyone out there know as existential kink and have applied it to your life and Jordan's like I have to me, it's a very big topic because it's a place not many people have the courage to go to. It's it's radical honesty. It's a weird word, existential kink, and it's coined by Carolyn Elliott. But essentially, it's just deep, deep shadow work. It's radical honesty of looking at your shadow, your unconscious, subconscious part of you that often is gaining something from the pain or suffering in your life and so some easy ways to describe this is a parent that continuously complains about their kids secretly likes it because they usually are getting their emotional need of being seen and heard by other people attention and attention feels like love to a lot of us. So a parent might love complaining about their child over and over again or their mother-in-law or your boss, whoever it is, because you're seen and heard in that struggle. And so you're gaining pleasure. You're gaining a benefit from the thing you say you don't like in your life. So when this dynamic is going on, we could be perpetuating our suffering. We could be perpetuating our pain By gaining an emotional need or gaining some sort of need from our pain or suffering. And this is next level shadow work. Next level shadow work. And I have a podcast on this called Radical Honesty. Do you secretly like the pain in your life? It's a title, something like that. It's a full episode about existential kink. And I go deep into the ways I've applied existential kink radical honesty to my life. And I talk about money. I talk about not getting pregnant for years. I talk about why women secretly like a passive man because they can then use their control to feel safe. And if your man actually became masculine, like healthy masculine, you would have to lose your control issues, which is what makes you feel safe. So you actually don't want a masculine man. You want a passive man because you gain from it. You get to control and control makes you feel safe. So that's a whole other episode, but you're a unique human that has applied this shadow work to your abuse situation, which, I mean, there might be a person out there that says, how dare you take responsibility from an abusive situation? (laughs) I mean, there's going to be that person out there, (laughs) but But I'm interested in this conversation because in this human life, radical honesty and radical responsibility is that we have a small part. We have a part in our human dynamics, in our human relationships, in our life circumstances. And sometimes we aren't aware of them, which is why we find ourselves in shitty relationships and shitty situations. But then once you wake up and you look bad, back to that time in your life, you're like, oh, oh, I was perpetuating that pain because X, Y, Z. Hmm. Oh, okay. (laughs) So what do you want to share about doing this shadow work about your abuse situation?
1: Yeah. So two things before I start, I will say shit things do happen to people where there are situations that have just arisen that are no good. Um, So i just want to acknowledge that because there are times in life where things happen to people and you know what it isn't like it's just out of the ordinary um so i don't want that to get mistaken and then the second thing is i think it's important to flag that this started from a very early age from being sexually assaulted by a male um on multiple occasions into my teenage years of life um I can clearly define the pattern now, but these, these sorts of memories weren't really necessarily unlocked for me, or they weren't, I wasn't able to process or be conscious about what had happened to me when I was younger and how it has sort of led me to the age of 22 and getting into that sort of relationship. So, and that I'm also a chef that has predominantly worked in with only males. So now when I look back, I can see, you know, three really clearly distinctive points um, that has really led me to my healing, my doing existential kink, um, getting into abusive situations on multiple occasions. And the way that I saw this happen for me was the idea and the need to be, like, validated by a male. People-pleasing desire um, to... seen by a male where I thought, you know, I thought I was very intuitive that I um, always knew what people needed. And these were specifically around males as well, because I was always, I've been working with males since I was 15 years old. Um, And I just had given myself a story like I'm very intuitive, but actually I was very wounded. Um, The reason I knew how to show up um, was because I wanted to be seen and heard. And in many ways, it made me very manipulative. Um, That's something I acknowledge now is as a younger version of myself, I was quite manipulative because I wasn't seen and heard. So I found and made ways for that to happen for myself. And I would say up until, you know, 22, 23, there would be tendencies where I would manipulate a situation because I needed to be, I like I needed so badly to be seen and heard. Um, And that's where existential kink comes in for me is the fact that There was so much pleasure being taken out of these situations because all I knew was stress, Um, specifically around kitchens, is you're in this heightened situation at all times. And the way that my body, if I felt happy, if I felt sad, if I felt any emotion, I would go to the kitchen because it fixed everything. So I started tying in that stress for me is a good thing. So whenever I would get myself into an abusive relationship or especially that abusive relationship when I was 22, that felt really safe to me because I actually knew how to navigate that. And that's where existential kink was a really big turning point. Cause I was like, oh cool, I'm taking pleasure out of this because I know that this is safe and I actually know how to navigate the situation. Like I know how to be sad. I know how to be a victim. I know how to manipulate him and when I say manipulate him I felt like I could do anything I wanted despite being in an abusive situation because he had his claws into me it didn't matter actually what I did if I was you know nasty back or even had abusive tendencies back myself because you that can often happen is you start doing like quite manipulative things back as well for me it gave me permission to just do whatever I wanted in many ways because I was getting pleasure out of the fact that he would love me anyway or, like, attach to me anyway. Um, So I did – that sounds, like, super fucked up. (laughs) Um, But that's what I discovered when I was doing existential kink was, like, whoa, I'm taking so much pleasure out of my way of control for this situation. And in many ways I was in no control whatsoever of the situation but it fed into my desire to be seen and heard. It fed into the fact that stress for me um, was a pleasure. Even now I have to check myself when it comes to stress because I have for 15 years mm-hmm. been conditioned to be in these high stressful environments as a chef that I have to like, you know, remind my nervous system that that's not what we're chasing. And that that little girl, you um, who was conditioned to think a certain way was like absolutely being seen and heard by the their abuser and I took full pleasure out of that and being able to work through that I did a lot of um you've probably read uh Pussy a Reclamation um that book maybe I read that book and Existential Kink at the same time and I worked with a practitioner whose name is Angel and she really got me to dive like deep into my shadows here and find out where and why this was coming up um and then that started to unravel everything around me um started to really pinpoint where I was taking pleasure out of it and I even did like practices on um like self-pleasure practices on my good and my bad light in here and the desire and lust that i got out of like you know my good and bad and i don't even believe in good and bad but i did that practice play with it as well where i could fit fully feel into even the, like the sexual desires and that's not what existential kink is about but i could fully feel into for me that's where it was coming from because of my backstory of um sexual assault so well it was a big <laughs> a big big unraveling for me
0: childhood sexual assault you are a true victim. And obviously that's not to be skated over or anything. But we, as a, as a child being sexually assaulted, you don't have power or control. So the nervous system and the brain is programmed with those effed up dynamics that are still present when we become a young adult and an adult. And so there's things out of our control and power that happened to us in childhood. But like that saying says, taking responsibility is to change that dynamic is what we have control and power over as an adult. Like we didn't have that control and power as a child that created this, this effed up shadow that gets pleasure from these crazy situations. But at now as an adult, when we fully recognize it and we, when you have that radical honesty That honesty is what can then change the subconscious, change the shadow, change the nervous system. Without the radical honesty, you can't change shit. It is big. It is,
1: uh, it takes a lot of work. And in many ways, I feel like you will be working on this for a long time. You never fully healed. Um, These situations can be triggered. And yeah, in many ways, the the outcomes of you know my past is like my childhood presented itself as an adult, where I was like, "I can take control of this." And I did really shitty things. like that's something that I take radical responsibility for, despite the um, abusive situation was in. I also made really shitty decisions like as a woman and as a friend to other women because I had this need to be needed uh, that, is where I took a lot of responsibility from existential kink was, you know, I did really shit things too because of my past and my past choices.
0: Okay. There was one more question that I had. Let me think of it. Now, if you're dating and you go on a date, what is that like? Because it has to be an experience of some level of PTSD sometimes, but also, Mm -hmm. Self-trust, like you're practicing self-trust too.
1: Yes, it is terrifying sometimes, (laughs) Um, absolutely terrifying. So yeah, despite my awareness of like everything that's happened, um, I have got myself into situations like nowhere like that situation, but I have, you know, truthfully been like, that's a red flag that looks fun like I feel like we all are aware when we do things like that so I have that really beautiful awareness of the past choices which is fabulous um I also am the person this the poor person that I go on a date with where I will straight up ask them um it has just come out before I'm like cool has has there been any domestic violence incidents in your life (laughs) the poor person on the other end Um, but sometimes it just comes out of my mouth Um, it's really helped me before by doing that um, where that person like my intuition kicked in and I that person had been in a domestic violence situation um, which so that I'm really thankful that I you know have got to a place where I'm kind of like, fuck it, I will ask you. Um, and then now that I have a daughter and I'm a solo parent um, stepping into the world of dating again, it is terrifying but also it is so grounding because it's just as much as I, you know, you, I want to date and I want to be um, spending my time Um, getting to know someone it doesn't happen like that because i am a solo parent i have a daughter so in many ways it's really beautiful and having my daughter has been so healing because it's stripped me back to my raw the raw version of myself where i actually don't have that much time for people so i'm really selective of who i'm around and what i'm doing and i don't know if that would have happened if i didn't have my daughter um i don't think i would have Picked the same situations in dating um, because I feel as though I'm very aware of them. But I've just entered this new level for myself when it comes to dating where it's like it's actually not about me right now. Um, Yes, dating is about two people, but I have a third person who I am thinking of and it is the most beautiful grounding experience that I'm getting to for the first time approach dating in such a slow, gentle manner where... Uh, I have fears but I will communicate them um, with the person even if it is, it won't be trauma dumping but it is, I am very confident and, you know, clear with the dating world now where I'm like, hey, I just need to communicate a few things to you. Like I have a child and this is my idea and expectation of dating. So it's actually been really nice to enter it slowly despite being sometimes terrifying.
0: That sounds perfect like what you probably need hey because of your history of going full in but now because you have your daughter it's like you've distilled like what's actually important and you don't really have the the time to go full in like obsessive mode because you have to be obsessed with your daughter
1: (laughs) yeah like I'm so grateful to have had my daughter where not even in um not even in the fact in the dating world but you know you have a child and anyone that has a child it kind of strips you back to your bare minimum especially if you are consciously trying to parent and um i am doing attachment style parenting as well so it's like there's so many like layers that have been stripped back um having a child that i didn't know actually existed for me and it's been so beautiful to in many ways it feels like a reset like i i you have to sort of rapidly work on everything that's coming up for you because you have someone else to think about and that's exhausting as a mom but also exhilarating and amazing to get back to this like raw authentic version of yourself
0: oh yeah and I just posted on this reel today that so many women from our childhood our inner voice our inner intuition our impulses as children were silenced because a lot of these impulses and instincts as children were were shamed we were put in time out we were yelled when we we were yelled at when we had these natural child instincts and impulses to be a child right like we were shamed and yelled at to quiet down and stop being too much and eventually our inner voice our inner impulses our intuition was silenced by our parents who just didn't know what they were doing you know and then we have a very complicated weird relationship with our intuition and inner voice because we were shamed so much for these impulses and following our impulses and creativities and using our voice as a child that it's silence and then when we're an adult and become a mother the mother intuition speaks from this inner place. And that's why a lot of mothers can silence their intuition and they know they don't want to do the vaccines, but you know they have to. They have to be a good person. They have to be a good mom. They have to be a good citizen. They just have to. And they silence that inner voice that says, I'm not too sure about this. Or they put their baby in a crib across the house and they don't feel good doing it, but they just have to. Because society says they have to, and they silence that voice inside them, inside them that doesn't want to do that. And motherhood is can't be this reclamation place of finding that inner voice again, that inner intuition that we had as a kid that was silenced. And it's like a second chance, and that's what it sounds like it is for you.
1: Absolutely, that it's like ignited all the beliefs that I already had that were already within, even. I didn't vaccinate my daughter, um, even that being like so confident to just be like this is what I'm doing and this is how I'm parenting and it's created a shitstorm around me. <laughs> it's very triggering for everyone but me um, <laughs> and I love it. I feel I've never felt more me. I mean motherhood is I'm exhausted being a solo parent. Like it is very all-consuming it's hard to work you know it's hard to do things um, in life other than be a mother and that's not anything that my priority is to be a mother but also on the other side of it I've never felt more grateful and centered and grounded and like happy despite having you know the tiredness and the exhaustion I'm just like oh I'm like me like again like I've met her it's amazing
0: oh yeah and you're in your power right all of these events Your power was, was, you gave it away, right? It was stripped. It was taken, all of these things. And now as a mother, it feels like you're so solid in this power.
1: Mm, It's so good.
0: I love it.